Christians. And when we're in unity, I mean, come on, nothing can stop us if we're in unity on this, right? Um, as Pastor Albert said, there's, there's a lot of folks who are fa- already fasting. Our teens have been fasting, and they're doing a 40-day fast. God bless them. And uh, different people are fasting different things. So if you're joining us on this 21-day Daniel Fest, I, I commend you. I want to I address a couple of questions that we've had uh, just leading up to this. Number one, do I have to participate in this fast? What's the answer? No, you don't have to participate in this fast. This is not a divine command to fast, uh, nor has the Bible. We don't find a scripture where the Bible said fast the three weeks leading up to Easter. It's, you know, it's not a divine command. Are you supposed to fast occasionally? Yes, the Bible tells us to as New Testament Christians to fast. If you're a believer, Jesus assumed by his words, his, he assumed you would be occasionally fasting simply because you're a disciple. And fasting is very powerful. So I hope you will join in, us in this because I am believing for divine breakthrough in a lot of your lives. And number two, uh, I'm in the mission of our church, divine breakthrough in the mission of our church. I believe that God is just about to take the lid off of this church and and what is possible. Because what is possible in the natural doesn't even interest me. It's what is possible in the supernatural with God leading the way, with God doing miraculous things. And that is about to explode. And I really believe that there's power. Hallelujah. There's there's power in our unity. And... um, I'm believing for breakthrough in your lives. Now, here's a question. Why should I fast? Here's some, here's some, some thoughts. Um, are you in need of a healing or a miracle? You might be asking, why should I fast? Are, is there a dream inside you that only God can make possible? Is there a friend or a loved one that you have that needs salvation? We see biblical evidence for fasting. Are you in need of a fresh encounter with God? Are things just feeling stale and dry and lost and alone and like, your prayers are hitting the ceiling. Are you in need for a, some kind of a deeper, more intimate relationship with the Lord? I think we all want and need an intimate, more intimate relationship with the Lord. Wherever we are, we can always want more. Do you desire to know God's will for your life? I think that's something all of us can say, yes, we desire to know what is his will. What is it he really desires? And how do we line up our desires with his desires, right? Because there's a lot of noise in the world. Fasting just helps you really dial in and, and hear more clearly what are God's desires for me and for those around me. Do you need to break away from bondages that have been holding you hostage? There's a lot of things in some of our lives, right, um, that, that, that j- they just hold us. And we feel like, man, that's just got a grip on me. It's something that, that I have to have, you know, just kind of for my well-being or something like that. Um, this is a great time to just surrender those things and trust in the Lord to, to help you uh, help break those bondages. God will break the bondages. Hallelujah. And, and lastly, do you want to see God's will done in this church? Do you want to see his power completely transform Generations Church in a fresh new way? That is what I want to see so badly. And so that is, that is why we are doing this. I have, you know, my, my two whys are because I want to see breakthrough in your life. I know so many folks in this church who are struggling in some way or the devil's just been attacking, and I am ready for breakthrough in your life. And then the second reason is I am ready for breakthrough in our church. I think God is getting ready to take us to another level that we can't even, I don't even know what that looks like, you know? I'm, I'm not saying, like, I've got it in my head. I don't know what it looks like. I just know it's there. I know it's, we've hit, we've hit the bubble, and it's about to break. Amen? Amen. I believe that couple of tips, helpful tips while you're, while you're doing this. I just want to talk to you about this. Number one, you know, we talk a lot about, we've, like if you go on the website, there's recipes and things like that. Don't try to completely satisfy your hunger. 
with food. See, there's a tendency when we're in a fast, I'm like, oh, I'm hungry. I need to go, you know, find a, you know, four-pound bag of carrot sticks so I can get full, <laughs> you know, or something like that. You know, and then we're like bloated on carrot sticks. And we may have missed the point. We may be missing the point when we do that. Don't run from being hungry. Lean in to the hunger during a fast. It's kind of the point. It's kind of, you know, part, part of it. So lean in. What we said last week, leverage those moments of hunger like an alarm clock. When your stomach starts complaining at you, rather than, you know, run to the, the tub of hummus, maybe just leverage, <laughs> leverage that hunger like an alarm clock and say, oh, God, I'm going to spend some more time with you. I need to talk to you. You know what? I've gone like two hours without even thinking about you. God, forgive me. Speak to me right now. You know, just, just be open. Spend, spend those moments refocusing your attention to God. So don't treat those moments that you feel dissatisfied like an annoyance. Like, like the goal is, let's, let's figure out how we can st- not be hungry for 21 weeks. Um, get dialed into why you're doing this and set your focus on things above. Um, we can allow those little minor sufferings. You know, we say it, it's suffering, but as I said last week, this is not hard. There are things in life that are hard. And this is, this is a very minor suffering um, to help, but it can help retrain our brains. It helps simplify our souls. We, w- what we can also do through this is rediscover the joy of looking to God as our source for pleasure. Did you know you can look to God as your source of pleasure? And we live in such a full world, right? So many things just at our fingertips that we forget that God himself wants to be our ultimate source of pleasure. And, and fasting is just one of those little practices Helps, us, helps remind us that God should be our ultimate source of pressure. The second thing up there, pray every day. Pray every day. God's will to manifest in your life, um, in your family, in your church, in our nation. Our nation needs prayer. Pray every day. Use this time. Uh, the third thing is encourage one another. Encourage one another. And Jesus tells us something really interesting. He says, when you fast, don't be mopey. Right? He says, like, don't go with your face all like I'm fasting. You know, it's like, oh, it's so hard. <laughs> I'm so spiritual. So now we're supposed Jesus says it like this. He says, wash your face, like comb your hair, and like go out with a smile, right? So we can encourage one another in joy. And if you are having a low day, that's why we're doing this thing together, man, because there's power in community, right? So you can call up your friend like, man, this is a rough day. They can talk you through it and pray for you and get you back on track. So don't be mopey. And the fourth one, check out gchurch.net. Lots of tips, scriptures. Um, go to what's happening uh, for, for info, uh, devotionals, and yes, even recipes. So um, you can eat yummy things while on the Daniel fast. The fifth thing also, uh, is it up there? Yes, fast safely. So we want to be safe. So if you have any health issues, this is just a public service announcement. If you have any health issues, um, if you're older, if you're, you know, if you're three years old or something like that, use wisdom. Use wisdom. Talk to your doctor, uh, you know, if you need to do that. But I will say this, do what God tells you to do. Don't just be like, well, you know, this will be hard. Maybe it'll be bad for my health, so I won't do it. You know, if you have a real issue, talk to your doctor, but do what God tells you to do. There are some great tips on our website that Amy Tice has put together. Thank you so much, Amy, um, for your children. Like, how to do this as a family? Because there are some children, child-appropriate ways to fast. You know, kids need lots of nourishment. They need the good things, and we don't want our, our kids getting malnourished. So there are some ways to go on there and give you some great ideas to how to do kind of a kid-appropriate fast, even for your children. So there's lots of different ways. Like I said, there's no judgment here. There's no, like, how are you, you know, what, what, what are you doing? You know, we're not going to, like, look at you with the stink eye if you've got coffee out in the foyer. Um, I might, 
but the rest of us shouldn't. I'll try not to, no. Uh, but no, it's, it's, it's just really between you and the Lord, but we, when we do it in unity, there's extra power there. There's power there. Uh, by the way, it's really cool. This Saturday is a ladies' breakfast, and the ladies' breakfast is on. Yeah, we can even have ladies' breakfast. So um, uh, I hear Ernie is like preparing some delicious, fast, friendly, fast, friendly breakfast, so that'll be good. Um, uh, my wife, Melissa, is going to be speaking, and so that's going to be really good. She's the just the wisest person I know. Um, I just say yes to whatever she tells me, and so I encourage you, come Saturday, um, have some good food, encourage one another. You know, while you're there, uh, it'll, Daniel Fast breakfast food will be on the menu there. It'll be a great time to get together and see how things are going, you know, and that sort of thing. So anyway, there we go. Is that all good? Everybody, everybody good? Happy? I'm excited. Praise the Lord. I think good things are going to be going to come out of this. Let's pray, and then we'll get into our, uh, our sermon this morning. Hallelujah. Father, we love you so much. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your graciousness. Lord, your, your mercy is new every single day, and we depend on that. And Lord, as you know, I am desperate for your anointing every single day. I don't want to say a word or take a step without you leading the way, because this is about you. This is your agenda. This is all about you, Lord God. I thank you that none of us shine. We just want to reflect you. We want to reflect Jesus. That is our identity in Christ, Father. I thank you for that. And uh, I ask you, Lord, just to open hearts this morning. And I thank you, Lord. Just I go ahead and speak a special blessing on those in the house who are fasting in some way today. Just give them a, a special anointing of strength to be able to do it, comfort as they're going through this, and just speak those wonderful words of revelation that we depend on so much. Speak to us, Lord God. Help us to get to know you better. That is our goal, to know you better, because the better we know you, the better we can trust you. We thank you, Father God, that you are speaking to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's get into this. Um, This is this week's message. Uh, It was supposed to be last week's message, but uh, the Holy Spirit had other ideas, so that's wonderful. Um, We're back in our series. This is part three of our series, You're So Vain. We're taking a look at how to rebel against uh, this self-obsessed culture of narcissism that we live in and instead walk in our true identity in Christ. We want to walk in our identity in Christ as people freed from fixating on ourselves all the time, and we can be freed to focus on loving other people. That's the goal here. We want to be freed from fixating on ourselves, freed to focus on other people. So we've talked about uh, self-esteem. If you remember back a few weeks ago, that was kind of, we talked about self-esteem, the me culture. Week uh, week two, we talked about technology, the I culture. Today we're tackling the idea of our appearance, our appearance, this culture of, uh, the culture of hot that we live in, right? So I want to take you first back, uh, back in time to 1920s era corporate America. Something interesting started going on. There was this radical new approach that someone proposed to stimulate the economy back in the 1920s. And it kind of went like this. They started out with this really strange, stupid question that was this. What if we try to get people to buy things they don't need? See, that's life for us, right? So that's not really weird to us. That's, not, that's, that's where we're, we live in. But that was a radical thought at the time, 1920s corporate, corporate America. See, up till then, it was really strange. People bought stuff that they needed. Yeah, they bought what they needed. And the stuff you bought was like practical and functional. 
and it was for the purpose, and you bought clothing to cover you and a car for transportation. Henry Ford famously said you can have a Ford in any color as long as it's black, right? He, <coughs> uh, you, ha- you bought a house to live in, you know, to protect you from the elements. You bought quality, you know, back then. Uh, I remember my grandparents talking about this all the time. Everything used to be made better. Everything used to be made better. Well, you bought quality. You bought for endurance, and you also bought, like, just enough for what you needed. Um, but how many of you know that is not going to stimulate a flagging economy? So these, these big, smart minds got together, and, and especially because, you know, when you're buying high quality, you're not buying new stuff all the time. You're, you're, you know, you don't buy stuff very often. And so they got together. They started brainstorming some ideas. They consulted these psychoanalysts at the time, and they said, what, if, what do we actually, what we need them to do, what we need people to do is walk into a store and buy something they don't need. Now, that's crazy, right? I mean, is that possible? Of course, that's, that's impossible, right? You can't get people to do that. You know, nobody's going to walk into a store and go, well, I don't need that. I'll take two. <laughs> but, you know, only. Um, so, so the guys, got, these psychoanalysts and the business leaders got together. How can we buy, get, get them to think that they need it? How can we get people to think they need this? How do we do that? So they came up with this radical idea. Radical idea. What if product can be linked with our desire for self-expression? Hmm. Product linked to our desire for self-expression. If the car you drive actually told people something about you. That was weird. What if the clothes you wear can be marketed as opportunities to portray your inner self to people? Now, that was a radical new idea. Products as opportunities to express to others what is unseen inside. Because see, if people, if, what if people felt the need to buy more? They would need to buy more and more because, of course, there are different facets to all of us, right? There are many beautiful facets to the creature that is me. So I need to express them all. So I need many, many outfits, right? Because I'm a complex creature, all right? I, I mean, I don't want to just tell the world one version of myself. I have to help the world understand. I'm very, I'm very deep. I'm very complex. I got these different things going on. So more and more, I got to buy more and more stuff. Will it fly? Oh, it flew. It flew, right? Product became a fundamental tool for self-expression. Expressing to others what is unique about you. Now to us, that almost seems like, well, yeah, of course, that's what product does. But to them, this was a novel idea. You established your identity through appearance. So today, we live, we live in the, uh, the aftermath of this fascinating social experiment. We live in it. We're the, we're the lab rats who grew up with this experiment. Product is self-expression. <coughs> Excuse me. So today we have two options, you and I in this room. We can continue to behave in response to the rat cheese that culture has been feeding us, or we could do something different. We can rebel against that. We can be self-aware enough to choose to rebel against the culture of narcissism. So that's kind of what we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about this because we have all been sucked into some degree. Every single one of us, we've all been brought into this way of thinking that's it's not, it's just not healthy. It focuses on the trivial and continually striving for attention. We invest all of this time and energy so I can stand out. 
so I can be the individual who is unique and different in a crowd full of people all trying to be unique and different? And it's not just the money we spend, it's, it's, it's just the, it's the mental energy that we spend on it, right? It, and it's, think about it, it's the worst aspect of self, too. It's not even self-betterment, like, oh, I want to get an education, I want to learn some more stuff so I can get smarter. It's not even the best parts of self. It's the worst, most trivial aspects of self-betterment, the appearance of self. Most trivial thing you can focus on. And it brings out the worst in our narcissistic side. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, you add to this, what we're talking about, a whole, you add to this picture, a whole nother explosive element. And that is, that, and that is uh, sexuality, which also comes into play. Because, uh, as you know, wherever sex can be used, it will be used, Right? And so sexuality now is, it comes into play, and it's, that's, that's just a rule of life. And so that gets wrapped into our self-expression as well. So fashion is not only more and more dramatic today, it, you know, in order to out-express everybody else who's also trying to be unique, it also becomes more and more uh, sexually expressive. And, and, you know, so the, the shirts are a little higher and the pants are a little lower. And um, it gives opportunity for, you know, a ways that we can express ourselves in our underwear, you know, because the world needs to know, like, you know, the different sides, uh, you know, with our underwear too. So, yeah, we've got like cleavage in two hemispheres now, right? Uh, uh, <coughs> and it and it's not just clothing. It's really not. It's not. There's, there's hair products. There's jewelry. Um, there's shoes. I mean, just shoes. Can I just say, you probably don't need so many shoes. You probably don't. Um, and, so, and so we overconsume to express ourselves uniquely in every possible mood that we might be in. And every part of our body becomes, you know, real estate for self-expression. I mean, my fingernails, my fingernails, right? I can't just let them sit there not expressing who I really am, right? We got to do that too. My eyelashes, my eyebrows. I, I can sculpt my eyebrows in a way that's not found in nature, but it totally helps you understand the, the deeper me, right? I'm special. That's what, you know, we're, we're all trying to. Now, let me say a little disclaimer here. We're, we're poking fun at this. We're having fun. Um, but here's what we don't want to do. Here's what we don't. And this is the danger in a sermon like this, but it's, it's, it, the payoff is worth taking the risk. Um, the danger is that we create this sort of sense of us versus them as we're sitting here listening to this. The us versus them. You know, we instantly go to, I know the person who needs to hear this. I know who he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Or you're, the, you're feeling piled on right now because you just got your fingernails done, right? And, and we're not trying to do that. You know, we're, we're happy for you. We love your fingernails. Um, we're, we're poking fun at all of us is kind of what we're doing, uh, including myself, right? I, I, I've got gel in my hair, and I tried to iron my shirt, you know. Um, by the way, a lot, a lot of us put a lot of work into looking like we don't put a lot of work into the way we look, Okay. So, you know, those of you, you know who I'm talking about. You, you put a lot of work into looking that way. Um, there's a narcissist inside all of us. And so we're having fun with this. But don't feel condemned. Uh, don't feel offended. And, and definitely don't feel judgmental about other people. Don't listen to this and instantly think about others. 
Because ultimately what we're talking about is internal issues. Seeing ourselves as Jesus sees us and with uh, rediscovering our true identity in Christ. That's the point here. So, okay, let's talk about this, this kind of culture of, of hotness that we live in. Who's hot? Who's not? You know, who's wearing what designer and who wore it better? You know, that's always on the, that's the front of the magazine. Now, we said this before. Narcissism has been around forever. That's, that's just a terrible human condition. But the epidemic of narcissism that we see today is a relatively new phenomenon because narcissists thrive in self expressive, individualistic cultures like ours. Narcissists thrive in this. And so when individualism is what a culture is all about, narcissists thrive. And they become our role models uh, because they appear to be most successful at life. And as a result, normal people who really aren't like official narcissists, they follow in those narcissistic patterns until eventually the culture itself changes for the worse. And, and it becomes sick on this systematic, culture-wide scale. And that, I believe, is a culture worth rebelling against. Amen? Amen. Now, we want to admit something here. Let's admit, when we're talking about this subject, how, how we appear is a really, really trivial issue. How we dress is the most trivial issue. Um, understand, my goal today is not to have us all look alike, to have us all dress, you know, in a uniform. You might say, you know, God doesn't care how you dress. He cares about what's on the inside. I would completely agree with that. The problem is God doesn't care how you look. It's some of us that care way too much. I want you to get that. God doesn't care what you wear until you care too much. There's your tweetable moment for the day, okay? He doesn't care. No, God doesn't care about the outside. He cares about the inside. Yes, until you care about the outside too much, and then he starts caring. So, how we dress really is trivial. You might say, is it worth an entire Sunday to talk about this? No, it's not. (laughs) That's the sad point. Um, What we're trying to do here is draw awareness to the fact that we are already giving it too much attention on a daily basis. We already give appearance too much attention on a daily basis. But in order to combat that, we have to be honest about where we're at. Too often, we're not even mindful of of how we're being conformed to culture instead of being conformed to Christ. We're not mindful about it because we just feel like it's natural, it's normal because we're a part of the culture. So we, we have to kind of be shaken awake a little bit. So let's talk about the effort that we put into uh, how we appear. There was a university study that came out that rated people on a modesty scale. And what, what it was, it was how much effort do we put into how we look, like expensive clothing, et cetera, things like that. How much effort do we put into how we look? And then what they also did, this was cool, they rated them at the same time on a narcissistic personality inventory scale to see if there was some kind of correlation. They found a high correlation between narcissists and a certain way of dressing. Okay? Here's what they found. Narcissists tend to wear more expensive clothing. They want to look rich, right? Narcissists sometimes tend to wear sexier clothing, right? More revealing clothing. They want to look sexy. Um, and, and they also found that narcissists tend to wear more attention getting clothing. They want to look cool, right? They want to look like the trend setting 
uh, class. And so we see these three things. So part of this, the researchers found, was this whole process, is not just the clothes, but it was the whole process of getting ready. They found it takes more time, the more narcissistic we are, right? So it takes more time to look this not put together. Um, the, the shopping, you know, in order to get the whole ensemble together. And then the payoff, you know, when we finally pull it off successfully, it all feeds the me machine. And they found this high correlation. Now, let's say this. Does that mean fashionable people are egocentric and slobs are spiritual? <laughs> no. Right. It doesn't mean that. It does, you know, having a wrinkled shirt does not make you more righteous. Right. Even though I've tried to convince Mel of that, you know, no, 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 I'm, I'm holy. That's why I'm going out like this. <clears throat> she still tells me to iron my shirt. Um, it doesn't make you more righteous to look like a slob. It doesn't necessarily mean you're a narcissist if you look nice. Okay. Uh, the writers of the book Narcissist, Narcissism Epidemic, they <clears throat> reported this story. They explained it like this. They said, we're not saying that everyone who wears expensive clothing or even revealing clothes is narcissistic, but the narcissism epidemic has made these ways of dressing not just more acceptable, but in some walks of life, almost expected. So, so I want you to really understand this. See, you can, you can be all dressed up and be a narcissist. You can look like a slob and be a narcissist. Uh, or you can look completely normal. Or you can look either way and not be a narcissist. So that's why the point is we shouldn't be pointing our fingers at anybody because we don't know your heart. I don't know your heart, you don't know my heart, right? What we need to do, the point today is not to look beside you, point your finger at someone because their clothes match, right? Oh, you match, narcissist, <laughs> right? No, the point of this is to look within ourselves and ask the question, how is this culture that I live in possibly feeding a negative tendency within me? And how can I rebel against that, Okay. So there's clothing, there's hair, shoes, fingernails, jewelry, hair products, even fitness. Um, it's one thing to, you know, some, some people go to the gym because they want to be fit and healthy. They want to have a healthy body and live a long time. That's awesome. It's another thing to focus on how other people look or how you look to other people, right? So do I have a healthy body or am I asking, do I have a sexy body, right? Now, this is an area I obviously am not tempted in, going, <laughs> going to the gym, uh, obviously, um, but there's some other there's some other examples here, but uh, I'll skip them. But, but there's a lot of different ways that we can look within ourselves and realize that that we're we're buying into this narcissistic culture, the the me focused culture of expressing myself. I want to express myself to others in the way that I look. Let's look at what Scripture has to say about some of this, and then we're going to explore some applications that we can start with. Um, I want to introduce you this morning to an exciting concept, super exciting. It's the value of simplicity. Wow! The value of simplicity. It's okay. Plain, plain and simple do, isn't really a buzzword on Madison Avenue. That's, you know, you haven't seen that in any commercials probably. Um, there's no website called Girls Gone Mild, right? Uh, it's, 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 not, it's not an exciting concept. But the New Testament, what we find is this a real simplicity about the whole appearance issue. They take a real simplistic approach. approach. And, and understand, we're not here to establish a new legalism, right? So stay with me. What I find, you guys notice this, almost every issue that we can come up with as Christians, it's traditionally presented as an either-or issue, right? So when it comes to how we dress, kind of the 
you know, the standard thing was you're either going to, you know, dress like a, a hooker or you're going to wear like a long gray robe because that's what Christians wear, you know, or something like that. Um, and what we want to look at is this third way. You know, we call it the third way around here. It's the Scripture shows us some ways that we can jump into that are kingdom ways, the kingdom. It's more of a Jesus way of living, right? It's not hedonism, but it's not legalism either. Because cause guess what? Whether you're, you're focused, whatever, anytime you're focused on your looks, you know, whether it's, well, I have to look more holy or I have to look more sexy, who are you thinking about? You're still thinking about yourself, right? You're still focused on the self. So the goal, here's, this is very important, the goal is to focus less on how we look. That's our goal, to focus less on how we look, okay? Repeat this after me. My goal is to focus less on how I look. Okay, that's our goal. So there's this freedom that we have in Christ, right? I mean, we're free. We're not under bondage. We're not under a whole bunch of rules. We have freedom. We don't want to abuse the freedom. But it turns out that living in step with the kingdom of God actually frees us up to think less about how we look. Can you imagine, like, the peace you could have if you thought a little less about how you look? Imagine that peace. What, what lots of people have discovered is people who want to, you know, take this idea seriously is this value of simplicity. Someone should really teach a series on that. Simplicity. That would be good. Um, that was a lot more funny in my head. <laughs> we taught a series about that a couple months ago. Okay. Just not a good joke. <laughs> simplicity. <laughs> simplicity. It allows people to actually see your soul. That's the value of it. It allows people to see the real you, right? To pay attention to who you really are without their eyes being all distracted by, you know, a sensationalist ex- ex- appearance. And it gives the chance for, for people to enter into relationships to be based on something diff- deeper. In the New Testament, you see this value repeated over and over. In First uh, Timothy chapter 2, uh, by the way, let's say this too. Uh, when Scripture addresses appearance— excess of appearance and things like that. It often refers to women, um, but that's because in their culture, uh, the women, that they had more latitude in how they, they dressed. Um, men really didn't. For, for men, it was like, well, I'm going out today. Do I wear my brown robe or my brown robe? Or so wear sandals or, nope, it's just sandals. You know, that was it. For men, didn't have a lot of choices. So, but today we can take this to apply to men and women. First uh, Timothy 2, verse 9, he says, Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So stay with me here. <clears throat> there's this emphasis here on what's going on on the inside uh, and, and doing good works as opposed to drawing a lot of attention based on your looks. This word modesty here is interesting. It's this Greek word eidos, and it means a deep respect for whatever is good, decent, and proper. It also means a rejection of whatever is dishonorable or shameful or disrespectful. So that's what this word modesty means. There's a value here that it doesn't really get championed in the culture of narcissism. 
this value of modesty. It's not really championed. It is a biblical value, though. And to say, I, I, I'm just not going to dress in a way that attracts excessive attention to myself, right? Now, today when we talk about modesty, we, you know, like I said, because the, the whole sexual uh, thing comes into play, so we think about that. But modesty really had a much broader term back here. And notice it's partnered with self-control in this verse. The word here for self-control is the same Greek word used for moderation. Moderation. So we're not saying you have to dress like you're in mourning all the time. Um, moderation. Modesty and self-control. That's really what these, these words spell. And, and that starts with how we shop right? Because we have the ability to buy so much now, right? We can buy so many things. We have uh, extra time to buy stuff. Uh, so we, we want to say, I'm going to be modest and self-controlled in my purchasing. I want to be modest and self-controlled in my preparation. I don't need to take hours to dress here. Modesty and self-control there. Modesty and self-controlled in, how, in my appearance and how I present myself, right? Now, I know modesty is a Sunday morning topic, doesn't have a lot of sizzle, uh, it's, it doesn't, but that's also how we can be countercultural, right? Because we get we're addicted to the sizzle, so we can be countercultural by by understanding what Jesus is saying here. We can stop chasing after everything that culture tells us is the new hot, and start seeing each other as these beautiful reflections of Christ, right? Here's another one. <clears throat> Excuse me. In First Peter, chapter three. Peter writes, do not adorn yourselves outwardly by braiding your hair. These guys really did not like braided hair. (laughs) I looked into this. It's an interesting story. So they had this style back then called the Flavian style. You might have heard of this. So in the Flavian style, it was started by this woman, Julia. She was the daughter of the emperor Titus. And so she would wear her hair this way. It was called the Flavian style. And it involved like just thousands of these like little curls and braids and stuff like that. And it would take literally hours for you to get your hair to look like this. You know, this is the year nothing, you know, in Rome. And so it took them a long time and you had to have servants like help you and all this stuff to get your hair. And so what would happen is like women were coming to church into the, like a worship environment and, and basically turning them into fashion shows, trying to outdo each other. And, you know, and, and the apostles were really clear that this is not what church is for. And especially you should actually show love to the poor person who comes in your midst by not dressing ostentatiously this way. So anyway, that's the thing with braided hair. We're not trying to start a rule about braided hair. Um, uh, it, see, it's a cultural thing. You got to look at it in context. Uh, So don't adorn yourself with braided hair, wearing gold ornaments, fine clothing. Rather, let your adornment be the inner self. So you see what his point is here. The adornment be the inner self with the lasting beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which is very precious in God's sight. So is this giving us a new uniform that we all have to wear to church to be Christians? No, no, not at all. See, that's what the religion of man does. It immediately reads something and tries to establish a rule, right? Religion says, here's the scripture about how we're freed from this unhealthy, narcissistic rat race of our culture, so let's make a new law. That's what religion does. Uh, no braiding your hair, no, no wearing jewelry. And that's, you know, what some of our brothers and sisters over the past centuries even came to that conclusion. But really, it's, a, it, it's missing the point. It's a complete misunderstanding of what the scripture is saying here. So what we can do, who are no longer under Old Testament law. We're not under the covenant, oh, old covenant. 
we could see the principle behind the instruction here, which is the principle of modesty, this principle of moderation, and how that works out in whatever culture, whatever century you happen to be wearing, right? So what, what it looks like is going to look different here in Texas than it looks like in Kenya, than what it looks like in India, you know, or, or, or Guatemala. It's going to look different, right? There's not a uniform. It's, it's more the spirit. Um, so rather, we don't have to get into arguments about, you know, what's allowed, what's not, what body parts you can show, what you can't show, what you can show at church versus what you can show at Kroger versus the beach, right? Because context is important, right? You wouldn't wear what you wear at the beach to a wedding or vice versa. You, you would stick out either way, and that you, then you would be in sin. So uh, what, what a better pursuit is here is to show love. How do we show love and respect to others in how we dress, how do we better reflect Christ by not getting in the way? See, some of us, your insides are great. You know, you, you, you're sweet, you're lovely, or you're handsome, you're cool. Uh, but sometimes we get in the way, and people can't see Christ because they're looking at what we wear, right? So we don't want that. As kingdom people, we're supposed to think a little differently. It's okay for us to think a little differently. And for us, our appearance is like one more tool in our tool belt. We can better use to serve others. It's another way we can serve others better. So when you see Scripture, it, it, the emphasis is, is away from attracting attention and toward how we dress on the inside. It's about dressing on the inside. That's kind of what we're talking about today. Christ followers are told to clothe themselves lots of different ways. Romans 13, Galatians 3 talks about clothing ourselves with Jesus. By the way, all the New Testament references about dressing up or about dressing up on the inside. They're all about dressing up. Whenever it talks about outerwear, it always, it's always about simplicity. Uh, Ephesians 4 tells us we're to dress with our renewed selves. Um, Ephesians 6 says to dress with the spiritual armor of God. Colossians 3, 1 Peter 5 also says uh, we clothe ourselves with com- compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Uh, these are the ways we dress our hearts, see, with good works in First Timothy 2, with a gentle, quiet spirit in First Peter 3. Uh, Revelation 3, a whole bunch of other places, Psalm, Isaiah, Zechariah, talk about with perseverance and righteous acts. These are the ways that we dress ourselves. So what if, what if we focused more on dressing up on the inside? Dressing up on the inside. What if, if we're going to think about dressing up, let's, what about that? With this in mind, I want to make this really practical for us. Let me, let me give you two suggestions to take home. Uh, take home number one, don't make this legalistic. Number one, don't make it. Th- when you talk about specifics in, in this or any topic, you always run the risk of fanning the flames of legalism. Right? Christians dress this way. Christians don't dress this way. Christians don't buy hair product or whatever it is. Christians don't blah, blah, blah. We always hear that kind of stuff. Hold on to the value of simplicity. Just hold on to that value next time you're shopping. Because that is a biblical value. And don't fall into legalism. So here's what we, we probably ought to be saying to each other. Christians don't judge each other's hearts. That's something you can say Christians don't do. We don't judge each other's hearts. And as we hear a teaching like this, we shouldn't immediately look around at who to point fingers at. We should seek to apply this to ourselves. The one thought we should be having when we look at another person, when we think about that other person, we should think to ourselves, here is a person of infinite value who is loved by Jesus. That is what I should think of when I see you. Man, 
Look at Elizabeth Slack, a person of, of infinite value loved by Jesus. That is what I think of when I see her, right? Because she's beautiful, and God loves her so much, right? So that's my starting place when I see other people. Take home number two. <clears throat> Do make this an opportunity for other-centeredness, right? Make it an opportunity for others. Remember, our goal here is to rebel against the culture of narcissism so we can better reflect Jesus. So this teaching isn't really about, well, don't be consumed about how sexy you look. Instead, be consumed about how holy you look. No. Either way, the focus is still on myself, right? Either way, the focus is still on myself. Remember, the goal, we want to focus less on ourselves. So rather dress in a way that helps you and others not be consumed with how you look at all. Simplicity. It's the value of simplicity. The truth is, here at Generations, we think you are a lot more interesting than what you wear. We really do. We want to get to know you, the real you, warts and all. And we think you're more interesting than what you have on. So you don't need to worry about the statement that you're making by wearing this or that. Just don't worry about that. We just want to get to know you. And so your goal should be how, it should not be how can I dress so that people recognize my amazing uniqueness. We know you're unique. Everybody's unique, right? Our goal should be how can I go into some social situation prepared to serve others rather than use others to serve my ego, What if we walked into every room with that thought? How can I serve others when I walk in here rather than use others to serve my ego? How can I practice other-centeredness, even in my appearance, offering myself as a gift to others, not using their attention as a gift to myself? Because that's really what we do when we buy into this narcissistic way of thinking. We use other people, and we, we want their attention as a gift Final thought in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So when it comes to our appearance, when it comes to our appearance, maybe the best question before we leave the house every day is how can I help reflect Jesus today? How can I help reflect Jesus? How can I do it better? See, this is a whole new way of thinking. And when this starts to take hold in your heart, this is why we're taking a whole series, we're talking about this kind of stuff. When this takes hold in your heart, it's infectious. Its fingers get everywhere, right? And you will start to think about things that we're not even talking about. How can I reflect Jesus better in this? Right? What, what What am I thinking too much of myself in this area or this area of my life? But this is a big one. This is hopefully the beginning uh, of a uh, longer conversation today uh, between you and your your family and friends. I think home life is going to be fun this week talking about this. Amen. Let's, uh, Let's pray as our prayer partners come down. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. I thank you, God, for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for your patience. Thank you that you love us so much and that that you want to turn us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. We don't know how Jesus was dressed because he never talked about it. But we thank you, Lord God. We know, we know how much he loved people. We know what he made other people feel like. 
we want to pour ourselves out as vessels of you. We thank you for that. Help us to reflect Jesus more, to reflect ourselves less. I thank you, Lord God, that everyone here today takes this, not, not as a condemnation or a judgment, but as an encouragement to allow you to have control of every facet of our life. Help us to be 100% sold out to you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy that is new every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you guys, I hope you have a wonderful week, and we will see you next time.